I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Beautiful move to the net. Great shot score! And Edmonton completes a dramatic comeback! Riley takes the step, settles into the pocket. He's got some time. Now he's going deep, looking down the sidelines. Oh, what a catch! And that's going to be a touchdown all the way to the end zone for Darrell Walker. An absolute bomb! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. It's the show my mother calls her third favorite one on 6.30 Chad. Inside Sports, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Columbus leading the Calgary Flames 4-1 early in the second period. Maple Leafs and Sabres scoreless late in the first, also late in the first. Canadians up 1-0 on the Senators. Duran with his 10th of the season. No score between the Lightning and the Red Wings. After one, Penguins leading the Avalanche 3-zip. Scoreless after one between the Bruins and the Panthers early In the second period, no score between the Jets and the Islanders. We'll keep you updated on those. Seattle is joining the NHL for the 21-22 season. We'll get the lowdown with Chris Daniels from King 5 in Seattle. He's been covering this story from years, so he'll check in tonight and give you the lowdown there. Edmonton Eskimos receiver Duke Williams has been named to the CFL All-Star team. The, the All-Stars selected by head, coach, head coaches and voting members of the Football Reporters of Canada. Williams played all 18 games for the Eskimos, first in CFL in receiving yards, almost 1,600. Canada is going to the Men's Basketball World Cup for the first time since 2010. The tournament will be played in China next August and September. They qualified last night in Brazil with a 94-67 win over Brazil. They still have a couple games remaining in the FIBA Americas qualifying tournament, but they already have enough wins to be guaranteed a berth. So that is pretty cool. Seattle has an expansion team. Here is our off-topic topic tonight. You can text 630-630. Which northern Alberta small town should get an NHL franchise and why? <laughs> text me at 630-630 and we'll go in and out of that throughout the show. Some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, bringing down-home Southern comfort food to Edmonton and other tasty treats. Salivate over the menu at northchickenyeg.com. All right, and of course, speaking of food, and Edmonton grappling for puck possession. It's Clefbaum who wins the battle to Leon Drysaddle. He'll shovel it back to center, and here we go with McDavid. He beats McNabb out wide to the net. Reach-tuck score! Connor McDavid short side inside the left post. The 
nothing Marc-Andre Fleury can do. Jack Michaels checking in from St. Louis, which means, Jack, I have this image of you smothered in barbecue sauce. Well, something close to that, Reed. Uh, there was uh, definitely quite an intake of barbecue for the media crew immediately after our four-hour session at a mostly freezing uh, rink downtown. As uh, we were at the we were at the Enterprise Center for uh, the better part of four hours, getting a chance to visit with Patrick Maroon and Connor McDavid and Cam Talbot, all the particulars, and saw some drills I hadn't seen before today, Reed, uh, with the with the uh, reaction drills, uh, put a glove between two guys and watch them battle for it. I hadn't seen that with a loser doing sit-ups. So a lot on the line for them and a lot on the line for both Edmonton and St. Louis heading into tomorrow night's game. I mean, you know, for the Oilers, it's a chance to gain a split on the road. It's a chance for Cam Talbot to bounce back and end a personal six-game losing streak, the longest of his career. And for the St. Louis Blues, they've got to rescue their season in a hurry. Otherwise, they're going to end up hopelessly out of playoff contention by Christmas time. Okay, and I know you tweeted a picture of this reaction drill. This was no pucks, no sticks. Like, was this just correct? Was this just something Hitch was doing to change it up, kind of fun, get competitive oh, in a different I think way? So. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, it was a hard practice today. I mean, Connor McDavid looked great. Uh, he took the ice, was just flying. Uh, there were a number of drills. I mean, it, it was a lengthy practice today. And then I think at the end, with the players understandably a bit gassed, uh, they had just some, you know, some fun reaction drills. Like I said, I hadn't seen that in two decades of covering hockey, so it was kind of neat. Uh, I talked to several of the players. They hadn't seen it. Of course, the trainers had, uh, but but uh, none of the players I talked to had ever seen it. So just, you know, Ken Hitchcock mixing it up, I think having fun. I mean, this is a place where I think a lot of people don't realize he actually posted the best winning percentage of his career in St. Louis, not Dallas, even though he won the Stanley Cup in Dallas, got to a conference final in St. Louis. But in St. Louis, uh, he never quite had the goaltending. He had Yaroslav Halak, who was often hurt. Uh, he had Brian Elliott, who had a very mediocre record. He, you know, There was the Ryan Miller experiment, and that didn't pan out either. And I think ultimately uh, that was part of the reason why St. Louis never, you know, quite got over the uh, got over the hump and, and won a Stanley Cup in Ken Hitchcock's tenure here. But it was a tremendously successful run here, and one that I think Ken Hitchcock secretly hopes he's got one more run in him. And uh, you know, for the Oilers, four two and one under his direction, and getting Connor McDavid back Wednesday will go a long way toward making that five two and one. So you you mentioned McDavid looked uh, pretty pretty comfortable. I mean, you get the sense he's fully recovered already from the illness that kept him out of yesterday's game, or or if he's not today, he, he will be tomorrow? I don't think he's going to be fully recovered. I, I think the Oilers are playing a little banged up and a little sick right now, uh, to be honest with you. So, no, I don't expect him 100%, but he looked you know, every bit as good as he had the previous game against Vegas, we'll put it that way. So I, I think he'll be a long, you know, a long way back from, from where he was yesterday, not being able to play again. I mean, my hunch is that he tried every maneuver he could to play and was ultimately told not to play. I mean, that's, that's really, if you read between the lines, I think that's what happened. I mean, here's a guy who played almost a month last year when he was sick, 222 games in a row. He's been playing 24 minutes a night the last couple of weeks. 
Jacobson, I think, was just run down to the point where, you know, my guess is he was just ordered not to play. Sometimes a player can't help himself, and you got to protect the player from himself, and I wouldn't be surprised if the other night against Dallas was one of those situations. But he should be back. Ryan Spooner centered what Ken Hitchcock, I think, looks to employ a third line, uh, and that'll be Ratty and Drake Kajula on that third line with uh, Jujar Kara broke a 40-game dry spell, as you know, against Dallas Reed. I think he's going to end up on a second line with Pooley-Arvey and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins. And the quote-unquote identity line, who had been playing, as you know, third-line minutes uh, up until the Dallas game, I think is going to be in a more of a fourth-line role when the Oilers take on St. Louis Wednesday. Jack Michaels joining us from St. Louis, and of course he'll call the game tomorrow when the Oilers face the Blues. You know, obviously Edmonton in an interesting spot here. They haven't been scoring a lot. I know you mentioned the good record under Hitchcock, but for the most part that has come without a lot of goals. No McDavid last night, so a lot of responsibility on Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins to uh, to lead the way offensively. But, you know, they're still looking for somebody to consistently step up as, uh, well, probably a couple of guys to consistently step up and and be secondary scorers well i think you know up until this point it's been primarily alex chase on i mean you've got to give him some marks for consistency third on the team with 11 goals mcdavid has 14 dry who's without a goal in his last three or last six rather still has 13 so uh you've got to give chase on credit for that but i think they'd like a little bit more from drake kajula moving forward uh in terms of he's cooled off a little bit he got off to a hot start uh was third on the team at goals at one point he's still stuck on seven right now they like to get him going i'm sure you know the fact that he's going to be with ratty and spooner you know spooner just scored the game winner against vegas in the last game he played a uh, ratty and certainly had a strong preseason showed he could produce when playing with Connor mcdavid at the end of last season at the beginning of the preseason uh, you know that would be supplemental scoring but the biggest x factor for me is still yes he's shown flashes since returning from the american hockey league where he really played well and created a lot of chances for himself and you know, in talking with Peter Shirelli, at times was, you know, the best player on the ice by far down there. So if he can kind of carry that, over, you know, over some of the the ownership of, of being a top player and being a top six guy with, who's getting some opportunities, you know, that would be a tremendous sense of secondary scoring. Because I think moving forward, you're right. You, you need, you know, more scoring than, than just the top three you mentioned. And really, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I, I think, is a guy that while putting up points, I, I'm not so sure you're going to see Ryan Nugent Hopkins threaten 30 goals. He might be a you know a, a 20 to 25 goal scorer for the balance of his career. I think that's where he is. But ultimately, we're talking about goals and, and guys that can fill the net. And that's where you know Kajula, Puliyarvi, if they could get going and maybe a tie Ratty a little bit, and those three guys end up with maybe a combined 45 goals, I think obviously Edmonton would be uh, far the better team for it. All right, Jack, before I let you go, just have a request. Can you bring me back any memorabilia from the Spirits of St. Louis, the old ABA team? Like, Marvin is that, Barnes. Is that in the cards? Marvin Barnes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that was a legendary team, and it's still the greatest business deal of all time. You know that story, right? you got to tell it. 
Oh, so the, there were brothers, and they have an odd last name, and it, it escapes me right off the top of my head, Ilna or Alna, something along those lines. But the brothers made this deal when when the ABA merged with the NBA, Reed. At oh, the yeah, time, these are the six- guys that are still getting paid. Right. Yeah, the, yeah. The no, tell the story. This is in the great. ABA. Exactly. The six teams in the ABA became four, and and two of them didn't make it. And a team from Kentucky took, I think, a two million dollar buyout. And these brothers for St. Louis, they desperately wanted to be in the league. They they didn't care about the two five. I mean, they they just basically Kentucky for, took an offer like right away. They they just said yes, sure, but done two million, just like Kramer with, with the Marlboro sign. Um, but but the St. Louis guys really wanted to be in the league. They held out. They refused to take any thing. And finally, they created their own clause that claimed a portion of the NBA television revenue in perpetuity uh, with the other teams that were joining the NBA. And the key phrase there was in perpetuity. And at the time, the NBA thought, are you kidding us? Like, no cash up front. They weren't getting any television revenue back then. In fact, read the 1980 NBA Finals with Magic Johnson being the MVP were on tape delay. I mean, they, they weren't even live TV in the States. But sure enough, 84 rolls along, Boston and L.A., Magic Bird, you know the rest. Michael Jordan uh, takes it through the late. 1980s, and that revenue exploded. Exploded, and so you know when when people were signing a billion dollar deal, they were getting one seven a full share of that revenue for years and years and years. And I think finally, uh, within the last couple of years, they negotiated a, a, a final buyout. But for years, those guys, I mean, literally, Kentucky took three million, which would be whatever it is, 25 million in today's law, you know, today's dollars. But those guys made billions and billions of dollars. It is universally recognized by Bill Gates, Forbes magazine, whatever you want to call as the greatest business deal of all time, no matter the industry. Yeah, the Silnus, that was the, the brothers. Yeah, that the is Silnus. an incredible okay, story. Yeah. yeah. What? The Silnus. I mean it's it's just it's just unbelievable. I mean, look, uh, at one point, you know, the people who, you know, run the United States of America got the Brooklyn Bridge, I think, for twenty four dollars in trinkets. That was was a horrendous business decision compared to these guys who, who uh, negotiate with the NBA. Yeah, for sure, Jack. One of the best stories of all time. All right. Take care, Reed. Always a pleasure. It is always great to have Jack Michaels on the show. The Big L texting in. He goes, uh, Reed asked Jack who ended up doing more sit-ups during the reaction drills, him or Bob, or did they settle things over wings and beer? That is from the Big L. Come on now. I got a early leader from Jared. I'll read it after the break. I asked you for your suggestions for which Northern Alberta small town should get an NHL team and why. Now, I've had some of you just text in the name of the town. Well, you got to give me the, the and why. That's where the humor comes in. Jared, I don't know if anybody's going to top Jared's. <laughs> Thank you.
This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Cam Talbot expected to start in goal tomorrow. Oilers at Blues on 630 Chet, 430 face-off show. The game will start at 6. Talbot trying to snap a personal six-game losing streak. The Oilers 4-2-1 and under Ken Hitchcock, 13-12-2 for the season. The Flames with a couple of goals halfway through the second period now. Columbus leading Calgary 4-3. The lines today at Oilers practice. McDavid back in action with Dreisaitl and Chason. Nugent Hopkins with Kara and Puliyarvi. You've heard Ken Hitchcock compliment Jujar Kara a couple of times. So Kara up to the second line. Spooner with Kajula and Raddy. Brodziak with Lucic and Cassian. I'm not sure what order to give you those lines. I don't know which one's the third line and which one's the fourth line. Uh, but they're kind of both fourth lines in my mind. But uh, that's how the Oilers lined up today. So Spooner and McDavid are expected to be back. Okay. Mentioned Seattle's back in the NHL. We'll have more on that in the next half hour of the show. Pretty interesting story. You can text 630-630. Which small town in northern Alberta would you want to see get an NHL team and why? Terrence from Red Deer says Grimshaw should get a team simply because the Grimshaw Grizzlies has a nice ring to it. Uh, this texture out of Lac Labiche says Lac Labiche because we'd bring back old-time hockey. All right. Now, Jared, however, has nailed it, Kellen. I don't All know right. if you have the text website o- open over there. Uh, I don't. Okay, but well, go you're going to love Like, Jared has totally, totally embraced this concept. All right. Can't wait to do this. I don't know if anybody's going to top this. They can try. Mondaire, Alberta for the next NHL team because in the third period when they're ahead, they can unroll the giant Kubasaw statue over the blue line to play the Kubasaw trap system. The other team would have to eat its way through it to score, but by that time, they would be too gassy to skate for meeting all the Kubasaw, and Mondaire would win. They would be the first team to play in overalls and have sheepskin jerseys. And then Jared adds, I'm Ukrainian, so I'm entitled to make these comments. <laughs> oh, that's, that's some excellent work by Jared. They would use the Kubasaw trap system. Now that is what, you know, I would love to see... Uh, a football team. <laughs> I mean, what did we we what we've had the the Manning brothers use the Omaha Omaha when they're calling for the snap. Right. We had Mike Riley mic'd up for game this year. What he was awfully he was what he was either saying either sand oil or water. I think before the snap. Yeah. I would love to hear a team for their the quarterback cadence. Kubasa Kubasa. That would be entertaining. But Jared, that that was an awesome text. Thank you very much. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring you the 6.30 news traffic and weather. Chris Kerber will check in to let you you know what's going on with the St. Louis Blues. They are having a tough year. They are banged up, so the Oilers got to get after them tomorrow. We will go to Seattle and talk to Chris Daniels with King 5 News. He's been all over the story of Seattle getting an expansion team. They do not have a team name. They do not have a team name, but we will ask him what he thinks it might be. You can text 63630. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, 
This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. The phone number is 780-496-0063. We're coming right back. Thanks for tuning in tonight. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chen. Well, quite a turnaround in Columbus. It's now 5-4, the Flames leading the Blue Jackets. Five and a half minutes left in the second period. Cam Atkinson scored in the first minute of the second period to make it 4-1 for the Blue Jackets. Since then, Giordano, Lindholm, Kachuk, and then Hannafin 50 seconds after Kachuk tied it. So 5-4, Calgary now leading Columbus. Five and a half minutes left in the second period. No score in the second frame between the Maple Leafs and the Sabres. Canadians up 1-0 on the Sens after one. Early second period, Detroit with a 2-0 edge on the Lightning. Avalanche and Penguins 3-3 late second period. Jets and Islanders scoreless. Panthers up 2-0 on the Bruins. Those are also in the second period. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chet, thank you very much for tuning in tonight. Tomorrow in this time slot, we'll have live play-by-play of the Oilers and the St. Louis Blues. Jack Michaels doing the call in oil country. And for the St. Louis Blues, it'll be Chris Kerber. Chris, welcome back to the show, man. How are you doing? Reed, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. I We got uh, quite a big snowfall on the weekend. I heard you guys got hit uh, today. Yeah, we got a little bit. It's, it's nothing like what you guys get. Uh, like, it's pretty much melted off the roads and that kind of stuff. We, You know, I remember growing up as a kid, we had a lot more snow than we seem to get now. Uh, we had one snow about a week ago that required some shoveling. But prior to that, I don't think we had shoveled snow in about two years. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, we're happy to go a couple weeks uh, without shoveling at this time of year. Yeah, but then so. once it, once it, unfortunately, once it falls up there, it stays there. So that, that, that's, the other, that's the other difference. Here, here you'll see the, the white yards for a day or two, and then it'll turn green again. Yes, and uh, once it stays, the snow will be gone sometime between the first week of March and the end of May. That's the window I'll give you for for it being Whoa. spring in Edmonton. Uh, Chris, thanks Whoa. for thanks for checking in tonight. Uh, the Blues, uh, unfortunately, having a tough year so far nine thirteen and three. And, and I got to start with the injuries. I mean, how many guys can you put on injured reserve in a in a twenty four hour span? This is tough for the Blues. Yeah, well, you can put more, believe it or not, and there are teams that at times have had it, but what has really handcuffed them is the fact that prior to the injuries, you're already up against the salary cap and right up against it. So, you know, it's it's limited some of the Blues' options to either move guys out or bring guys in to try and change things up because of the cap situation that they're in. And uh, now with a couple guys knowing that they will be out, you know, as long as they will be, there's some long-term IDAR situations. So that's allowed them to make some moves and bring up a couple guys from the minors. So... Uh, looks like Chris Butler might get in tomorrow, uh, Jordan Nolan as well. And, you know, it's, yeah, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I, I frankly think even without the injuries, calling those two up, putting them in would have been a good thing because they play a very predictable uh, style of game. It's something that I'm sure you guys are hearing a lot now with Ken Hitchcock. And, uh, and, and I think it's a, 
it's a necessity to be able to win. Petrangelo is the big name, obviously. Uh, what's the time frame on him, if if you have one? Well, all I can tell you is what Doug Armstrong told everybody uh, yesterday. He's going to be reevaluated after Christmas. So uh, we know that he's out at least for the next uh, next couple of weeks, and then we'll see where it goes. And then, uh, you know, does the surgery require more treatment, or, 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 or I'm sorry, does the injury require more treatment or surgery after that? That that remain to be seen. So. Um, hopefully it's the short end of that, and uh, we see him shortly after Christmas. So, but we got to hope that it's not longer. We had a coaching change here in Edmonton. You guys had one in St. Louis. Mike Yo out. Craig Barubi has come in. What's been the impact, if any, of Barubi taking over? Uh, you know what? I, I don't know that we've noticed a huge change so far. Nothing quite as drastic as what you guys have seen with, uh, with Hitch coming in. Um, I think we've seen some spurts of some more spirited hockey, but you know, even with Mike Yo, we saw we saw the team go into Toronto and put a terrific game together and a win in Toronto, followed up with two great periods in Winnipeg before giving up a two goal lead to the Jets and then losing in overtime. So, um, you know, we've seen some spurts. Uh, I don't know that we've seen a whole lot of other adjustments just yet. I, I think if there's any difference that we've seen, I think it's Craig Berube, uh and, and maybe it's because of the situation he's in his conversations with Doug Armstrong, the interim aspect, you name it. He seems to have a little more patience. He's giving more ice time to Robert Thomas. We'll see what Jordan Cairo is going to do uh, tomorrow in the lineup as well. So I think a willingness to give some of the younger guys a little more ice time, is, is it might be one of the differences we're seeing. Ken Hitchcock, obviously, in St. Louis, I'm really successful there. I'm looking at a list of all the Blues coaches. He has the highest points percentage of anybody who coached more than two games. And I know Scotty Bowman was there, uh, well, not right at the beginning, but basically right at the beginning. Uh, Quenville was there. Uh, Red Barrison won a Coach of the Year. Brian Sutter won a Coach of the Year. But Al Arbor? Yeah, Al, right, yeah, good point. He was there as well. Um, but, I mean, when you look at what Hitch did there, and especially that year he, he took over and they had an over 700 points percentage, you got to rank him pretty high, if not at the top of, of all-time greatest Blues coaches? Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, I mean, the, the, the records there speak for itself. Uh, you know, the one thing that's happened with Blues and coaches is the, the four winningest coaches in the history of the National Hockey League, in, and you just mentioned them, Scotty Bowman, Joel Quenville, Ken Hitchcock, and Al Arbor, were all St. Louis Blues coaches. And all of them have won Stanley Cups with other franchises after right. they left here. You know, I mean, that's a it's a, it's a bit of a stinger here for uh, for St. Louis Blues fans. Uh, Ken Hitchcock was a really good coach, and you know, the inability for the Blues to be able to keep, I think, the players like Backus and Brower, uh, I think, is one of the reasons that Ken Hitchcock was let go. And and it wasn't it's not Ken's fault that they couldn't keep him, but when the Blues made the T.J. Oshie trade for Troy Brower. They brought in more of uh, Ken Hitchcock's style of player to play that style that Ken wanted. And, um, and, and I think that was a big deal. And to lose both Brower and David Backus and, and then start a transition towards, you know, oh, we got to get faster, which everybody's talking about, um, I, I think it, it kind of inhibited the style of play that Ken wanted to get across. And then I think it had worn thin on some of the guys. So put all that together, and that I think is why the coaching change was made. Ironically, I think the team that Doug Armstrong came into camp this year with, with the addition of O'Reilly, the type of game he plays, the addition of Maroon, Bozak, I think they're back to more of a style that would be very successful under Ken Hitchcock 
much like the team that, that went to the conference finals with Hitch. Chris, before I let you go, McDavid is expected to play tomorrow after being ill last night in Dallas. He did practice. I find myself asking this a lot, especially when the Oilers are on the road. What do you think a potential shutdown matchup is going to be for the Blues against McDavid? Will it be a line? Will it be a deep pairing? Or what do you think the approach will be? I think it'll be a little bit of both. I mean, look, with Petrangelo out, they're definitely missing something. But as you guys know, I mean, yeah, when you're at home, you can dictate those matchups a little bit more. But the moment you try to go with a hard matchup, whether you're at home or the road, you give the other team a bit of an advantage because they can control who you have on the ice. And so I, I think that the Blues will do what a lot of teams do, and you're planning on a couple lines to go against them. And if I go back to the Colorado game two games ago, which was just a spectacular game, I think one of the best games that the league has had this year between the Blues and the Colorado Avalanche, and the Blues end up winning that game in overtime. Um, I, I'll tell you what, the line, believe it or not, centered by Ivan Barbashev with Oscar Sundquist on, on the one side, and it looks like Jordan Nolan. It would surprise me to see Craig Berube put him up there uh, against those guys. He put he put that line, and I know Nolan hadn't been called up yet. It was Zach Sanford on the line. But he put the line of Sanford, Barbashev, and Sundquist and had no problems putting him out, out on the ice against Rantanen, uh, Landis, Cog, and McKinnon. And those guys did a terrific job against him. So I, my, my guess is I'm looking for both the O'Reilly line and the Barbashev line to get that assignment. All right. Well, it's going to be interesting. Two teams uh, trying to work their way up in the standings for sure. Chris, it's always great to have you on the show. Thanks for making time for us. And, of course, I'll see you when you're at Rogers Place later in the season. All right, you got it. My pleasure. We'll see you guys in uh, just a couple weeks. Right on. That is Chris Kerber checking in tonight. Play-by-play voice for the St. Louis Blues, Oilers and Blues on 630 Ched tomorrow. As we were doing that interview, a couple more goals in the Calgary-Columbus game. Last minute of the second period, it is now 6-5 for the Flames. The period started with Columbus up 3-1, and then they scored in the first minute of the period to make it 4-1. It's now 6-5 Flames with 28 seconds left in the second period. In a couple of years, starting in 21-22, the Edmonton Oilers will have Seattle as an opponent in the NHL. The expansion team granted today Chris Daniel. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll check in from King 5 in Seattle when we get back. Please support 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous. Visit santasanonymous.ca to find out how. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. So we asked you to text in to 630-630 which small northern Alberta town should get an NHL expansion team and why. This texter says it should be Caster so they can bring back the controversial name they used to have for their midget team, the Raiders. 
I'll let you figure that one out yourself. I'm sure you've heard it before. I like that one. Gary says, uh, uh, hey, Reed, don't know if I can beat the big sausage, but here it goes. I'm saying Hannah should get a team. We have the big goose. I think if we flew a flock of geese around the rink, crapping on the opposition team, we might be successful. And, of course, we have Nickelback. Chad Kroger could be the anthem singer. How could it go wrong? That is a good one from Gary. Well, I don't know if... Hannah and Castor are going to get expansion teams, but Seattle is getting one to start play in the fall of 2021. Pleased to visit with Chris Daniels, chief reporter with King 5 News in Seattle. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you doing? It's uh, It's been a good day for the city of Seattle and a, and a long day, a long journey to get to this point. Well, I'll say uh, things like this uh, never come easy and they never go as, as quickly uh, as they might. Uh, in your mind, and, and look, Seattle was it was pretty highly thought of, I think, as, as a great candidate for expansion. But in your mind, through covering this story, give me the, the couple of biggest hurdles that the city and the ownership group had to clear to get the expansion team nailed down. Well, I mean, it's it's really all about the arena read. Uh, th- this has been a story that I've covered for 12 years in Seattle now in terms of uh, the Sonics and the NBA Sonics and when when they were sold and the threats for a new arena and, and uh, the fact that the team moved. It's It's been since 2006 uh, on what I call the arena beat, uh, the beat for two teams uh, also that don't exist. And, you know, the, the, the issue has, has always been the arena and, uh, a couple of years ago in Seattle, it looked like there was going to be a new one just south of Safeco Field where the Mariners play and the, and the city council rejected by a slim margin, a 5-4 vote to, to eliminate a street for that arena and, and said, let's, let's give this key arena spot one more, one more shot and put out RFPs and uh, requests for proposals. And lo and behold, uh, a guy named Tim Liewicki stepped forward with his uh, group, the Oakview Group, and said they believe they could spend at that point $600 million on a new building. And, and, and then he had in his back pocket David Bonderman and Jerry Bruckheimer to be the NHL owners. And it all just kind of came together over a two-year span to, to get to this point with the NHL announcing today firmly that they are going to expand and going to expand to Seattle. But that's a long way of saying, Reed, that it, it came down to the arena and having a viable proposal signed off by the city and having the money behind it and giving the, the NHL confidence once and for all uh, that Seattle is the place to be for them. So is this going to be uh, like a 100% brand new arena? Is this a reworked uh, what used to be the key arena where I went to a Sonics game in the fall of 2004? <laughs> I, saw, I thought somebody told me the, the roof of the key arenas like a historic, has some kind of historic designation there. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess you could say ninety to ninety-five percent new. Uh, what what you're familiar with uh, is the Key Arena remodel. Uh, the Seattle Center Coliseum existed since the 1962 World's Fair in Seattle back in the mid '90s. The Sonics wanted a new arena. They dug down several feet, expanded it to about 380,000 square feet, and what has been called Key Arena. This is uh, essentially a brand new building, but with the old roof intact, and there's. A reason for that, the, the, this group, the Oakview group, Tim Liewicki's group, they'll, they'll be eligible for a federal tax credit. So it kind of factors into the bottom line here. Uh, but also the, there are people in Seattle who, who wanted to preserve that roof. And it went through a whole historic preservation process. So the roof stays, 
everything else is brand new going from a 380,000 foot uh, footprint on that site to about 750,000 by the latest estimate from the uh, Oakview group and from the NHL Seattle group. So we're talking about doubling the size of the footprint there with a brand new arena, but with that old roof intact, they're digging down another 15 feet to, to get all that square footage, expanding out, blowing out uh, really the one side. So it's going to be a big old building in a, a confined space there really in the heart of Seattle at Seattle Center. Okay, interesting. Chris Daniels joining us from Seattle. He works for King 5. He's been all over the Seattle NHL expansion story. And, and, and hey, you know, you, you're you you're a the Seattle guy uh, most of your life. You grew up there. Give me a sense of how hockey is is part of the fabric of Seattle and how an NHL team might have to, if at all, work its way into the fabric of the city and sports fans' hearts. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of enthusiasm about it, but, hey, you know, there's, there are some other teams that are that are pretty popular as well. So I'm just curious, you know, how you see it uh, fitting in, how you see it um, staying strong sort of once that honeymoon period is over. Yeah, I mean, they, they have 32, 33,000 season ticket deposits at this point. Uh, you know, this is a... An area that I think you know has a, a, a hockey history on the, the minor league level and also won a Stanley Cup, the Seattle Metropolitans, way back in 1917. And so everybody uh, in Sea Island, Georgia today kept saying return to Seattle after all of these years. Uh, yeah, if you look at the Stanley Cup, it's got Seattle on it. There is a minor league uh, system here, the Western Hockey League, uh, that has teams to the north in Everett. Seattle, the Thunderbirds used to play in the old key arena. They now play in suburban Kent. You have another team in another league across the mountains in Wenatchee. You have Spokane. You have Portland. You have teams in Vancouver. So the Western Hockey League, well-established in the region. There is a the Greater Seattle Adult Hockey League uh, that uh, people try to find rink time for. That's uh, another thing that we can get into. Not a lot of rinks uh, in the area. That's going to have to expand over time. But that's been successful. There is a growing uh, young adult women's uh, group, the Washington Wild. One of their members, uh, 11-year-old, was featured today at the press conference down in Sea Island. So there are a lot of people who play hockey, and I think the National Hockey League looks at this also as an opportunity to get into the marketplace as a uh, winter sport ahead of any sort of return of the NBA. A lot of people in Seattle still pine for the Sonics and bringing back the Sonics and bringing back professional basketball for the NHL to get in here in advance, they get those season ticket deposits. They build up the fan base. They get the marketing uh, dollars, the suite revenues, the sponsorships, all of that in advance. So I think that's what's enticing as well to the NHL about Seattle with all the new wealth, all the new growth getting into Seattle before the NBA returns. One thing I've always enjoyed about visiting Seattle, Chris, is that when I say I'm from Edmonton, people know where it is. And in the rest of the United States, that's usually not the case, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Coming into the Pacific Division, are, are Seattle fans going to look south to California for natural rivalries? Or are they going to say, no, 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 we, we're, our rivals are these Canadian teams, you know, with, with the passionate fan bases? What do you think? Canada. It's all about Edmonton and Calgary and Vancouver, and, and Gary Bettman uh, has stressed, as has Todd Lywicki, the, the the CEO, yes, Tim's brother of NHL Seattle, that Vancouver has been ecstatic 
about this opportunity to develop a rivalry with Seattle. Francisco Aquilini, the owner of the Canucks, has even told me how how he thinks it's a natural fit and helps build their brand and and build hockey in in lower British Columbia. So I I think that uh, you'll see Seattleites uh, taking a certain affinity to Edmonton, uh, to Calgary. Hopefully that situation gets settled uh, with the Flames, and, and I think it'll be great for those four teams in particular long-term to, to kind of feed off each other uh, as a regional rivalry. All right, one more quick quick one for you. i got to ask you your prediction for the team name. i got a new idea, the Seattle Roofs, given what you told me about the, <laughs> the roof. The I mean, where, where, how do you think they're leaning here, if at all, at this point? Well, uh, the, the one takeaway today, I mean, it, it is it is the question that everybody in Seattle uh, wants to know. I think Dave Tippett, uh, formerly of the Coyotes, uh, a name that you know, uh, says that's the one question he gets asked the most in Seattle. He's a senior advisor to the NHL Seattle group. Uh, the, the question came up more than once today. Gary Bettman seemed to shoot down the idea of the Metropolitans, the team that won the uh, Stanley Cup back in 1917, saying, hey, there's already a Metropolitan division. So he didn't seem very warm to that. I, I think uh, some of the popular names that have been thrown around, the Sockeyes, the Steelheads, the Emeralds, the Evergreens, the Totems, which is a, a shout-out to the old team uh, that played at Key Arena, although I don't think that is likely. Uh, given how times have changed. Uh, and so I, I think those are the names that you hear about quite a bit. And a lot of people, they, they, they think, hey, especially with Jerry Bruckheimer, Pirates of the Caribbean, being part of uh, this, release the Kraken. The, the Kraken has seemed to be uh, this, this name that has had a cult following in the last year or two. That people think it would just be so fun to have the Kraken. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but I, I think you may see... Uh, something uh, along the fish lines, and and they they know NHL Seattle group knows they're not going to make everybody happy, but uh, it, it, it's going to be something fun now to talk about over the next year or so. Well, right on. Well, Chris, thanks for the information, uh, and I can hear how excited you are about it as well. This is going to be fun to have a team in Seattle for sure. Thanks so much for checking in tonight. I hope we can talk again. Yeah, absolutely, Reed. Thanks. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.